and I'll make you happier by shaking the tree of the politics we have at the moment, breaking some of the branches so you can see the incompetence, the corruption and the failed politicians that are running your lives for you. I want you to see something different. Coming up on British Thought Leaders, Nick Buckley, an independent candidate running for mayor of Greater Manchester. After 20 years working with the homeless, Nick says we need solutions. And it's then when you realise that person wants help. And that's why we should help him and get him off the streets, get him a better life. But telling me that's a choice they've made to die on the streets, I'm not having that. Nick got sacked from the charity he founded after criticising Black Lives Matter. My world fell apart the first week. I was, you know, I don't mind admitting I was a beaten man the first week. I was now Nick the Nazi. Um, no one came to my defence. I'm Lee Hall. This is British Thought Leaders. Nick Buckley, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. You're welcome. You're standing for Mayor of Greater Manchester. Yes. Um, it's a, a, a thankless task to be the mayor of a massive urban area, and you're not a career politician. What is it that's driving you to do this? It's one word, it's change. Now, I'm not going to say I'm going to be the best mayor ever in the world. I'm not even going to say I'm going to make you richer. My aim is to make you happier. And I'll make you happier by shaking the tree of the politics we have at the moment, breaking some of the branches so you can see the incompetence, the corruption and the failed politicians that are running your lives for you. I want you to see something different and then maybe then you can start voting differently. So you'd mentioned on your substack that you, if you did get elected you would do some of the unpopular changes that need to happen. What are those unpopular changes? Now the problem we have with politicians at the moment is it's always about short termism. So what's going to get me elected in two, three, four years' time? In which case, they always pick the easy answers to get elected. What we need is someone to come along and do some of the heavy lifting and not care about their career. I'm not a politician. I'm definitely not a career politician. I want to do the heavy lifting, so I'm going to start looking at some of the complicated problems we have across the country, but obviously specifically Greater Manchester. Let's look at knife crime, for instance, in Greater Manchester. It's becoming more and more of a problem every year. We're actually now beginning to catch up to London, which is something not to be proud of. The way we tackle knife crime is we have a tool that's called stop and search. Why don't we use it? Because we're scared to use it, because we're going to be called racist. Now, what I intend to do is increase stop and search in the neighbourhoods that people tell me they want more stop and search. So at every council election, which is almost once a year, we're going to hold a little a mini referendum per council ward. And I'm going to ask the parents of the people who live there and the residents of those areas, do you want more stop and search? Because if you do, we'll give you more stop and search and we'll stop your children dying in pools of their own blood. If you don't want more stop and search, absolutely fine. You won't be punished for that, you'll just get the service you've got now. Let the people decide. I'm tired of politicians and council managers making decisions for you, where you live in your neighbourhood. So there's obviously green issues are a, a big thing at the moment. Are, are some of those are these unpopular decisions as well? What I will be looking at straight away for the green issue is commercial properties. How do we... How do we change planning permission to make it easier to convert them into residential living? We've got dying high streets. In high streets where we had 100 shops, 
We've only got 20 now that are viable. What do we do with the other 80 buildings? How about flats for single people who then will spend their money in those 20 shops that are still existing? What about brownfield sites? I know it's more expensive to build houses on brownfield sites because of the contamination, the extra work you've got to do. There's many things we can look at. I mean, these are just some ideas. Why don't we let them build on those brownfield sites and then give a discount to the people who buy those properties in the council tax? There's all sorts of ways of looking at this. And then the big one is net zero. I mean, net zero is just lunacy. In Greater Manchester, we have the CAS, the clean air zone, which a couple of days ago, Andy Burnham, who's the current mayor of Greater Manchester, has just said, I'm not implementing this, which is great considering he spent the last two years trying to implement it. Fantastic. He's now seen the light, which is fantastic. So I don't want to criticise him for that U-turn. He's now listening to the people. But you've seen in London with the ULEZ, people don't want it. People don't understand it. It's making people poorer. It's attacking car use. Now, we all want to live in a clean environment. Of course we do. Who wants pollution? No one. But there's ways of doing this. The net zero challenge we have is stupid, it's lunacy, it's not going to happen. The sooner we realise that and the sooner politicians are honest and say, we're scrapping this, the better things will become. You mentioned knife crime in cities in, in the north and in the south are all experiencing some quite serious issues with, with violent crime. What do you think we can do to kind of turn this around? It's going to take a decade or two. It starts with the police. At the moment, in our country, we have police services. They're no good. I'm going to turn Greater Manchester Police into a police force. I want criminals terrified of the police. We've not had this in my lifetime, people being afraid of the police. I want criminals afraid of the police. And I make no apologies for that. I don't want me and you afraid of the police unless we're criminals. So let's get the force we need to deal with it. Then we need to start removing some of the race baiting, some of the woke issues out of the policing. So Greater Manchester Police will not be engaging in any projects that we class as woke. So we'll not be engaging with Stonewall. We will not be having different groups inside the police called the Black Officers Group. We won't have an LGBT group of police officers. None of them will exist within Greater Manchester Police officially. Officers can still run those groups in their own time and discuss what they want to discuss, but they'll have no say in senior management. So they can still do what they want. I just will not be acknowledging them as official representations of officers. There's only one group in Greater Manchester Police, and they're called the Blue Group. It's the police group. That's what I want. And then after that, we need to look at knife crime. So we've talked about stop and search. It's also about parenting. The biggest problem we have socially in our country is a lack of fathers in the home. And I know about that because I had no father in my home growing up. And I didn't realise that was a problem until I was 23 years old. And I can remember the day and the time. I was sat in a pub in Longsight, in a pub called the Rampant Lion. We sat in a beer garden, me and my five friends, talking about shaving at 23 years old. Someone had just bought some new fantastic Gillette, 15 pounds wet shaver or something. We went round the circle, how do you shave, what's your best shaver? And it got to me at the end of the line, how do you shave, Nick? I went, oh, I shave with an electric razor. And everyone else shaved wet. Why? Oh, because when I was about 13, 12, 13, I found a little razor, electric razor, in a cupboard at home that belonged to my dead granddad. 
and I started shaving with that and I've just shaved with electric razors ever since. And it was giving that story that made me realise at the time, wow, I have missed having a father. Because mm. all my friends gave a story about how their fathers taught them how to shave. And some of them didn't even like their fathers, but they had the story. And I thought, well, my story is I found this ancient electric razor 30 years old in a cupboard and I started using it because I had no one else to show me the way. If no one showed me the way to shave, what other ways don't I know to go? And I realised then, I can't tell you if it improved my life or not improved my life by not having a father, but I miss things. And I realised, and that sort of led into my work then, working with young people. And young people need guidance. And the number one guidance is from your parents, your mother and your father. You don't need just a mother, you need a mother and a father. And that's how we tackle crime in Greater Manchester. Something like 80% of all criminals in jail come from fatherless homes. That's the problem. Let's get fathers back into the house. Let's stop subsidising the removal of fathers out of the home. And let's start admitting as a society, we need men in the home just as much as we need mothers in the home. It's not either or. They're a team. Teams win games, not individuals. You've worked a lot with homeless people. Mm. In what ways has working with the homeless changed your, your thinking on life? It's made me understand how the system really lets some people down and, and to such an extent breaks them even more and leaves them living in excrement in entries in city centres. And if you'd have asked me 30 years ago, did our country do that to people? I said, no, but we do. Those individuals need to take some responsibility themselves. You know, they weren't purely victims of this circumstance. They've made a lifetime, a lifetime of choices, of poor decisions. But as professional services that we're paying for in our taxes, and that's the best they can do is have someone living on the street. And I realised then the system's completely broken. And it's broken for several reasons. The first reason is, first reason is cowardice. We know how to fix rough sleepers. We've done it before in the 80s in this country. This isn't a new problem. It's an old problem that's just reappeared. We haven't got the bottle anymore now to do what we did in the 80s, which is hold people accountable and make decisions that are unpopular, especially in the age of Twitter and Facebook and being called, you're nasty, you're evil, you're a Nazi. Well, if I am evil, I am nasty, I'm a Nazi, but I'm saving people dying on the street, so... I'm a pretty good Nazi, if that's what you think a Nazi is. So it, it, we're losing that ability to be able to help our fellow citizens in a compassionate way. Instead, what we do now is we say, I'm the compassionate one. I'm fighting for you and your rights to live on the streets. I'm fighting for your rights to die on the streets in front of an audience. How wonderful am I? And I'm, I'm actually saying, no, you're not wonderful. You're part of the problem. You're a narcissist. You have no concept of what that person's going through. I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of rough sleepers sat on cold, wet pavements when I've sat down with them trying to get them help. And to begin with, they all say to you, I don't want help. I'm fine. This is my choice. No, I'm fine, Nick. I'm fine. I'm fine. Over weeks and months, they eventually say to you, do you know what, Nick? Not fine dying and I know I'm dying and part of me thinks I deserve to die 
And it's then when you realise that person wants help. And that's why we should help him and get him off the streets, get him a better life. But telling me that's a choice they've made to die in the streets, I'm not having that. Do you think there's some easy measures we can bring in that would make a big difference with the homeless situation? I promise in Greater Manchester we'll end up sleeping in a year. 12 months. That's all it takes. This isn't rocket science. We've done it before. I've got 15, 20 years experience now working with sleepers. This, it just takes a backbone, some great determination. It doesn't take a rocket science to work any of this out. The first thing we do is we end begging. Begging supports people to live on the streets. So we, we make sure no one can beg in Greater Manchester, especially in the city centres. You go to anywhere in Manchester now, outside any supermarket, outside any shop, there's a beggar sat there. 70, 80% of them are not even homeless. They're begging just for money for drugs. And, we're and they're going to be tomorrow's rough sleepers, by the way. We're just, we never stop that conveyor belt of broken people. So we end begging. That means the people living on the streets are in a better condition to accept the help and support. I'm going to set up a series of hostels. So we look at a, we look at a disused warehouse. We fill it with garden sheds. Each garden shed is an independent living pod. And then we move people into there. Not long term, we move them into there so we can get into somewhere better. But it's immediate off the streets that day. The amount of people I work with on the streets who say, yeah, I've been offered accommodation, hoping to move me out three, four weeks from now. Like, That's not good enough. It should be today. And any excuses or reasons why people won't accept accommodation in Greater Manchester will be resolved. So a good one is, I've got a dog. Your hostels don't take dogs, so I can't take help off you. No, no. My hostels will take dogs, we'll have kennels. I can't take help off you because I'm a drug user and I'm going to want to inject drugs tonight. So because I'm a drug user, you won't let me in your hostel. No, 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 not in these hostels. You can take drugs. They're still illegal, by the way. And if we see you with drugs, you'll be arrested. But if we don't see you inject drugs, you can use our hostel. Same with alcoholics. So any excuses or reasons they've got not to accept a bed and get off the streets, I'm going to remove all those. And the reason why we don't do that now is because politicians are scared. What happens if the ODs in our hostel? We're going to have a big headline in Manchester Evening News. Man ODs in Mayor's Hostel. He allowed it to happen. And my answer will be, well, I did allow it to happen. The odds are he was going to die in the streets anyway. We got him off the streets. He died in a bed. That's better than in a rat-infested alleyway, point one. Point two is, they all don't die in our hostels. And we've got so many people now into better accommodation, move them off the streets. It's about step one, step two, step three. Step one is always get people off the streets. Step one. We'll do whatever it takes to get him off the streets. No more excuses, no more professionals saying, oh, it's a bit dodgy, that that could affect my career. I might get in trouble for that. No, no, no. The mayor will take full responsibility because there's too many cowards in our services. I will take the flak. I will take responsibility because I know I'm saving lives. Do you think there's kind of a, a selfishness to politics that it seems... You're quite happy to put aside whatever happens. You'll, you'll make the decisions. Maybe they'll be unpopular. Maybe it will ruin your political career. But you're happy to put all that aside to do what you think is right. I've always done that since a child. I've, I've always done what I thought was right. I'm not saying I've always been right. Sometimes, in hindsight, it's like, that wasn't the right thing to do. But at the time, I did it for the right reasons. 
I'm not in this for a career. I don't want to be, I, I won't be running again three years from now to be mayor of the Greater Manchester. I don't want to be a politician. I'm just tired. I'm tired of seeing the region I love, the country I love, slowly deteriorate over my lifetime. You know, it's easy to say society's crumbling, but we have now, we've got schools and hospitals with concrete that doesn't work, that's just crumbling. And that's just a metaphor of Greater Manchester. I, do, I just want to improve things. I'm not going to get everything right, and I'm not going to improve everything the voter wants me to do, because I'm only one person. I'm going to look at the basics. If we don't fix the foundations, nothing else can be built. If I can fix the police, if I can start generating a little bit more support in our political system, so people start trusting politicians a tiny bit more than they do today, these are the things we need to do if we're going to build a better society, better communities, and hopefully improve the lives of almost everybody who lives here. It starts with one or two steps. So if people are voting for me thinking I'm going to change the world, no, I'm not the man for that. I want to do the foundational work. The people better than me may come decades from now to be able to carry on that work. We need to be realistic what one man can achieve. We're seeing a lot of talk about the HS2 line not going up to the north and people are saying, oh, the, the levelling up hasn't worked. And from your experience, do you think people in the north feel hard done by with all of this? No. Most people, I've never met anyone in the north apart from someone with a political agenda talk to me about HS2. No one cares. I'm sure it could be important to some people, but no one cares. Was levelling up a real project? No, it wasn't. It, it was a PR stunt. Was the Northern Powerhouse a real project? No, it wasn't. It was a PR stunt. It's all about trying to attract those votes up north. If people in Westminster wanted to really improve the north of England, the last thing they should do is try to improve the connections to London. Because all that happens is we become better beggars out of Westminster, out of London what we need to do to create a northern powerhouse and to improve the lives of people in the north is connect the north. HS3, Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, Hull, Newcastle, that would have been a fantastic project to run. Not only would it have dragged in investment into the north, it would have made all these smaller cities connect with each other. Maybe then we could have been a powerhouse. But everything always revolves on connecting to London. All that would happen if we built HS2 is we would suck more clever people out of the north into London on commuting. That's all we would do. And that isn't how you build a northern powerhouse. It's just more of the same. And what we need to realise is more of the same won't work. It's not worked anyway. Do something different. Connect those cities and let them figure it all out themselves. We don't need government to figure out our future for us. Do the infrastructure. Let us do the rest as individuals, as businesses, as communities. You uh, came into the spotlight in 2020. You ran a charity, founded the charity, and then the board of the charity sacked you. What happened? That was crazy. That wasn't plans. That wasn't me being brave. People think I was brave for this. I wasn't brave. I was naive. So I set a charity up. 10, 15 years ago, working with kids on the streets, stopping them getting involved in crime. Multi-award winning charity now. And in June, May, May 2020, at the height of the Black Lives Matter 
lunacy, and we all know it's lunacy now. We didn't then. I looked on Black Lives Matter's website and read what they were about. I was quite shocked. Defund the police, overthrow capitalism, and the one that stuck out for me was disrupts the Western nuclear family. And I looked at that and went, they're all English words, but I've got no idea what it means when you put them all together. Disrupts the Western nuclear family. And I came up with the conclusion, it means we need to get rid of more fathers out the home. That's what that means. And that's when I went, no, people need to know about this. So I wrote a six, 700 word blog on my little blog site that was getting no audience anyway. And I just wrote what I discovered. Um, and it went mental. Within hours, sorry, within days, I was called a Nazi, a racist, for criticising Black Lives Matter. And the board, there was an online, online petition to have me fired from the charity I set up. Um, a volunteer from the charity resigned. A new, a new volunteer, only been several months, resigned, wrote, emailed the board, saying I was a Nazi and they panicked and they sacked me over email and I, I'd appointed the board, they were, they were friends, near enough. My world fell apart the first week I was, you know, I don't mind admitting I was a beaten man the first week, I was now Nick the Nazi. Um, no one came to my defence, you know, the hundreds of people I've worked with, professionals I've worked with, lots of them emailed me Hi Nick, seeing what's going on, it's disgraceful, how can they treat you like that, how can they say those things about you? I hope you understand I can't say anything online though. And it's like, I, know, I understood why at the time. Um, and then after a week, 10 days, I decided to myself, I'm not having this. They've now, they've ruined my life. I'm never going to get another job now, I'm, I'm Nick the Nazi. So I mounted a fight back, Free Speech Union were fantastic. The Mail on Sunday did a full piece on me, full page. And then I got so much fan mail then. People said all over the world, America, Australia, New Zealand, France, UK. Nick, you're right. This is what Black Lives Matter about. Stay strong. Um, I then challenged the board legally. And within, within 18 hours, the whole board resigned in disgrace. I then approved a new board and they offered me my job back. So it all ended well, to a certain extent, but it didn't, it didn't really end well because I lost those friends on the board. Mm -hmm. I lost other friends who thought I was racist. I then, after a year, had to step back from the charity because it was still being attacked for having a Nazi running it. And I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking about places like Salford Council attacking the charity for having a Nazi on the board. Um, so I had to step back from that and my life completely changed. Hence why now I'm standing as mayor because unless, unless people stand up and demand change and give change, then we're just as bad as the people online who, who create these hate mobs because it means you're a coward. And I may be many things, but I don't think I'm a coward. So I'm gonna put my views out there and then people can vote on it. I mean, you dedicated your life to building this charity and got it to where it was, and then suddenly it's, the rug is pulled from under you by friends and colleagues. Mm. And that must have been a real test of character. I mean, what, what did you learn from this experience? I learned I was stronger than I thought I was. 
I also learned I was weak than I thought I was because if you'd have told me a month before this is going to happen to you, Nick, and you're going to spend the first seven days a wreck, I'd have laughed at you. And I said, me? No. Brought up on a tough council estate. I've had a gun pointed in my face. I've got 19 stitches in my head where I was robbed once with an iron bar. Someone saying hurty words or lines going to affect... I don't think so. You don't realise how it affects you when it feels like the whole world is out to get you. Um, so I realised that straight away, but then I also realised how tough I was to stand back up, brush myself down and say, bored, coming after you, I'm not having this. And in fact, you should have known this was going to happen because you've known me for several decades. Should have known I won't take this lying down. I learnt those lessons, but I also learnt, I think it sounds a bit corny now, forgiveness. I don't hold any ill will to those four board members. They were just cowardly. And I can understand people being cowardly because in June 2020, it felt like a revolution was coming even the Prime Minister at the time wasn't criticising Black Lives Matter. Police officers, you know, 30 police officers in London were injured during a Black Lives, Black Lives Matter riot. No one criticised them. It felt like the whole world was, was, was going to burn. So I can't blame those four people on the board for thinking we need to end this and if by giving them Nick's head it might end it. So I don't blame them for that. And that's, I wrote a book about it called Lessons in Courage available on Amazon. Um, and that really is about how we all need to be a little bit more courageous because cowardice is an easy trait to fall into. And even if you think I can't do what Nick did or I can't stand up in work and, and say these things, well, you, maybe you can't, maybe you need your job because you've got kids and a wife and you've got you know, a mortgage. Yeah, don't lose your job, I get that but there's little things you can do. And I came up with a phrase, be a ninja, not a whinger. So stop complaining and do a little bit. If all you can do is retweet something you agree with, well, that's all you can do. But doing nothing isn't an option. Work out what you can do without being sacked or ruining your life, and that's what you need to do. Do you think we've become kind of too reliant on victimhood now as a society? We become too afraid of everything, and it's for many reasons. The first reason is the government now does everything. So, you know, we'll have a child who dies in a reservoir in the summer swimming, and the first response from the local council is build a wall around that so no more kids die. It's like, well, no, that isn't the answer. If you want to be a free person in a free society, that comes with risk. That comes with you making the best decisions you think are the best decisions and living with the consequences. And we don't need the government jumping in all the time, being a nanny state, trying to tell us what to do and what not to do. They should offer advice if they feel that's appropriate. We advise children don't be swimming in those open waters because it's dangerous. Thank you for the advice. It's down to parents then for the rest of it for their children. And we have this throughout the whole of society that we have bureaucrats and governments and politicians making decisions on our lives where those should be our decisions and the reason why they do it is because it stops them having to tackle the difficult issues in the country such as immigration such as employment such as education and skills so let's ignore that that's complicated but let's let's 
stop people eating sugar at Halloween. So let's ban trick-or-treating. Let's ban swimming in rivers. Let's ban all these things. We're very good at banning things because it gives certain people power. And then when things go wrong, they can go, well, we tried to stop it. don't want you to stop anything. I want you to treat us like adults and free people. That's what you should be doing as a, as a government. But then, in generally, in our lives, we become very, very risk-averse. Everything now is, oh, that, that's going to hurt me or that's going to offend me. Please don't say that. You've just now hurt my feelings. Well, I don't really care about your feelings. I only care about your physical body. I don't want someone to hurt your body. I don't mind people hurting your feelings because you should be tough enough. And we can trace all this back to anti-bullying in schools. You know, bullying is what children do to toughen each other up and to make sure they're following a social norm. I'm not saying it's pleasant. I don't condone bullying. I've been against bullying. But bullying in school teaches... I was heavily bullied as a, as a kid, so I don't condone it, but it gives you some resilience. We don't have that in children anymore now. We protect them far too much. They become adults, they hear something they don't like, and it's like, how dare you say that? Instead of going, well, that's an interesting point of view you've got there. I disagree with it for these reasons. And then you may turn around and go, oh, I never thought of that before. Or I might turn around and go, you shut all my reasons out the water quite easily there. Maybe I need to do a bit more thinking on what I believe and why I believe it. That's called being an adult. You're a cancellation was back in 2020 it seems since then council culture has risen really every week there's something happening now do you think we just accept that council culture is part of our life now or are you expecting some kind of fight back i think you're right as in council culture seems more now i actually don't think it is i think it hits the press more and we have some unique cases that have a bit of glitter on it and we all hear about that more I think the tide has definitely turned. You only have to look in the paper every week. There's more and more victories now against cancel culture. There's more victories for free speech. There's more victories for personal responsibility. I think the tide's turned. What we're dealing with now is the, is the wake of that turn. I think there was certain issues and certain people already in the pipeline of cancel culture who are coming through now. But I think five years from now, ten years from now, I don't think much of this will be an issue anymore. The tide is definitely turning. What we need to worry about is that we don't swing too far to the right and then, you know, we get a different type of cancel culture, a different type of authoritarianism because culture is a pendulum. So we've swung far too left now. The pendulum's coming back. We need to make sure it doesn't go too much the other direction. Nick Buckley, thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders. You're welcome, thank you very much.